All right, what's happening? There we go. Good evening, Melroseians the world over. I'm Tom Catalini. I'm Sam Hammer. I'm Tom Shampoo. And this is Let's Talk Melrose. <laughs> Melrose, a show where Melroseans talk to Melroseans about Melrose, but there's only three squares tonight. Who's missing? Oh! Jenny Electric. I don't Jenny know. Electric. I forget what her excuse was, but I don't think it was a good one. She's taking the, she's taking the night off, the week off, and uh, she yeah. will be missed. She did not vet the excuse past us. That was, that's the thing. We didn't get to vote on whether or not it was a good enough excuse. <laughs> yeah. Busy, busy, very busy. Busy. Um, she is busy. She does a lot of things. But uh, one of the things she does is hold this show together. So <laughs> we may. Uh... <laughs> well, hopefully she's watching and uh, doing something else at the same time. Yes. You may see the stuffing come out of the middle a little bit tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to carry on. Yeah, she's very uh, instrumental behind the scenes as well as on the air. So we're going to do our best. Uh, and speaking of doing your best, the city did its best this weekend to put on the Victorian Fair pretty much per usual from what I saw online. But I didn't get a chance to go downtown and sort of scope it out. Were either of you able to uh, to do that? Uh, there, there's a quick shot. Uh, thank Raj you. Raj Das. Uh, He's Raj everywhere. Das. Everywhere. He is. That's a great shot uh, from above. And I also pulled this from the Facebook page too. This just, just looks like um, uh, yeah, quite a crowd they had this year. So uh, it was busy, I heard. My, I did not go. My wife went to do uh, one of the booths for, for a little bit of time. Yes. Um, and she said it was pretty busy in the afternoon. So it's good. I hope, you know, it's a beautiful day. Uh, and yeah. I, I, hope it, I hope it all went well. Uh, you know, I, people have different feelings about sort of what's the, what's the best COVID protocol these days. But I feel outdoors is pretty safe. Um, I told you pre-pandemic even, I've had kind of mixed feelings about the old Victorian fair back to my uh, early impressions of trying to push a double stroller downtown uh, in the middle of that crowd uh, to try and get some uh, Texas in the house. BT, how are <laughs> yeah. you down there? Uh, speaking of uh, Texas and out of town, I didn't go to the Victorian Fair because I was out of town this weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. My son goes to UMass, and we went out for a quick visit, and we went over to Northampton, which oh. is a lovely little town. And I'm just going to throw up a little glimpse of the future. Nice. So they've got parklets. Look at that. So two yeah. things right here. I love the cement protecting me and the art on there. Yeah. And a little little glimpse of the future, just sort of the art installations on this little uh, walkway that goes over the road, trying to spice things up, some more sort of artsy park thing. I think this is the wave of the future. And one thing Melrose might need, yeah. tattoos. <laughs> Walk-ins welcome. Ways. That's what you want to see when it's time well, for a tattoo. You need it yes. for the Apple Shampoo House for sure. Yeah. Because no they're looking. all getting sleeves <laughs> soon. <laughs> Everyone's getting tattoos. <laughs> Uh, um, not me. I'll just go on record. Um, so what'd you get for a tattoo, Tom? Walk well, we, uh, the schedule was tight. Uh, you know, <laughs> I almost bought a guitar at the music shop, a music shop out there, but there's a lot of great little shops, little restaurants, the parklets. Yeah, it's a, it's but so, and, uh, I didn't get enough pictures of the outdoor, like kind of murals and art that Jen would talk about if she was here, but it really gives the area a vibe. And it had little, uh, like, um, I don't know if you've been there before, but there's little, mm -hmm. like, side streets and stuff off the main avenue. And it's got yeah. this really kind of nice 
feel to it. And I thought that the, the street art, for lack of a better word, uh, really added to that element. So, yeah, my, my daughter's at, but, at UMass Amherst as well. And so we've, we've been out there and we've also eaten an, our, our lunch on the outside uh, parklets they have out there. So, yeah, it's very pretty out there. Nice, nice little town. Which reminds me, we should pitch again that Pitch Perfect is Saturday from 9 to 11. So it's the Melrose Cultural Council. Um, if you haven't heard of this yet, you can just go there and talk to somebody who knows how to permit, somebody who's in public art, uh, somebody from the council who can, you pitch them your idea for what you want to see or have or do in Melrose. And they will tell you how to navigate that. And they have grant funding. Um, to fund some of these wacky ideas. So I will be there. Um, Are you pitching? I'm, I'm, I'm pitching um, at, nice. at least one. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes. Oh, nice. All right. Something well, you know, yes, BT with this hashtag beer garden, but like you have to get down there. That's the thing about this Pitch Perfect or any of the Melrose Cultural Council grants. You do not have to be an organization or a nonprofit to apply for this grant funding. They will give it to any general Yahoo who has got a good idea and executes. Yeah. So um, BT, get that beer garden idea out there in their grant application. And uh, although I don't know if they'll actually <laughs> fund that, but yeah. if you want something in Melrose, you just, yeah, like we're always complaining about why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? Just do it. You got to make it happen. Sam, I have a request. Would you record yourself with a video as you're pitching, and then we can show that on the show next week? No. Here's Sam. <laughs> That's a hard no. <laughs> oh, no, kidding. You didn't even think about it. Wow. No. All right. No. All right, Sam, you want to tell the folks, and so we're going to get into the news, but you want to yes. tell the folks to stay tuned for our guest? Yes. Yeah, so speaking about grant funding and dollars, just um, – going into good purposes to make communities better. Um, we have Devin Romanel here, who is um, a Melrosian, who also has spent a lot of time with municipalities and specifically now is um, helping cities, mostly in the Midwest, on how to spend the federal dollars um, that Melrose will also be getting. So um, we wanted to talk with him because last night, um, city council did vote to accept. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Sam. It's not time for the news yet. You can't Sorry. just casually right. meander into the news of the day without the intro delete delete <laughs> all right are we so ready Devin's coming up so stay tuned to hear how we can do this and he'll be on after the news <laughs> i forgot about that I'm so <laughs> gets us every time <laughs> oh all my right. god that's right. good all right. All yeah. right. Uh, and Sam is a newsy, so she's going to yes. lead us off with uh, yes, what's please. happening in uh, schools, I think. Right. All right. Sorry. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm posting a lot of things. Um, so, yes. So um, I we have a COVID update. Um, I actually am going to put the dashboard, um, the live Google Data Studio dashboard in our chat. Um, it seems like maybe things have calm down a little bit, leveled off a smidge this last week. We didn't have quite uh, the disruptions that we did the first week of school, the first two weeks. So um, everyone seemed to be back in school for the most part. And I think, um, you know, I think this this dashboard is really cool. Um, so I highly recommend checking it out. You can kind of filter live. So yeah, it's up-to-date information, and uh, it hasn't. It's uptick to whatever eleven cases, and it gives you the breakdown and all the detail. And I think that's not 
terribly surprising that if you took a random sample of what X hundreds or thousands of people, you know, there's going to be some positive cases. So I really wasn't surprised that we started out the year with that. I was a little surprised. I think many were that some of the test and stay mechanics and things weren't in place for day one. So that was a little confusing to pro, uh, to people, I think. And you talked about just kind of like, how, what do we do? How do we handle it? it seemed to be different at different schools. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the superintendent did send um, a, a very uh, thorough um, note or letter to parents, which included this dashboard, talking about why did classes get sent home and why did, in some places and not in others. And I think the answer was, um, thank you. Um, uh, it was a pretty thorough answer. Um, and so I, you know, I, although it, I always, I'm always that you got to get ahead of the message person yes. <laughs> before it makes uh, Massachusetts news and beyond. Um, I think yeah. having that letter finally come out was very calming. As we and I didn't mean to step over you graphically, but I just wanted to show people what the dashboard looks like. So it's a lot of detail by, you know, by school, by grade and, and a lot of information on there. So the information's out there, but you do have to kind of have the narrative because what happens is the online chatter goes to interesting places uh, when it's when it's left on its own. And, and many times, in fairness, even if you are trying to kind of get the message out there and talk about how it should go, um, it's it's interesting uh, where the conversations go but quite rapidly. People, people like to fill in the blanks, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's always going to be a sport for people. So. Well, and you always fill it in with a negative interpretation, you know? Yeah, so where sure. in the absence of information, it's usually filled with something kind of negative. Right. Uh, Speaking of which, <laughs> West, Nile, West Nile virus uh, risk is elevated in Melrose <laughs> is our next topic. So of the things you have to worry well, about. Uh, yeah, what can we say about that? Just just put some bug spray on people and just be mindful of that, I guess. Yeah, dusk. Well, dusk is yeah, what you got to watch out for. It's crazy. Well, well, Shampoo and I were in the fells a few weeks ago, and I put on two coats of bug spray, and that did not seem to matter. I was... Uh-oh, what's Tom yeah. laughing at? I'm just laughing because the next thing we're going to talk about is the Melrose DPW Motor Oil Gas <laughs> Antifreeze Collection event is this Saturday. Let's, See, this is where Jen, this is where Jen goes like, no, 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 this is how we organize the stories of the day. This is, a, it's not, shouldn't be completely random. But anyway, if you, Tom, I know you've been hoarding antifreeze. Oil. And, I can't get rid of it, man. You, what do I do? You, I know you, right? You buy in bulk, you get out of Costco, you get like a dozen cases, something like that. But it, you're attentive to the expiration date and you don't want old antifreeze in there. So it's in I your shed. Not. I change my Now's your chance this Saturday. I wonder <laughs> if that includes, I wonder if that includes some of our friends who buy baby oil in bulk. Um, if they the don't use it all. We need to buy The show is <laughs> off the rails, man. <laughs> All right, let's get back let's on the rails. Yeah. And huh? let's talk about some of the news with, that Sam alluded to up front and that our guests will uh, illuminate us with uh, further. But there were a few things we were paying attention to on the city council agenda. So they had some, some meetings yesterday uh, and there were a few things that caught our attention, many things on the agenda, but a few things caught our uh, uh, attention. One of which is apparently there's an appointment of the new health director for the city of Melrose. So I know the mayor had mentioned this to us and the, and there's uh, it's there's a little submission to the city council who I guess has to approve this. And there were uh, some number of candidates applied who were interviewed and finalized for this. And Mr. Chu, 
Uh, Anthony Chu, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, is going to be the new health director for the city of Melrose if the council approves him. And he comes yep. to us. Um, he's got a couple of degrees from uh, Sonoma State University and a master's of degree in public health. Uh, from Yale University, and he worked up in the city of Manchester most recently. Um, and he seems like uh, he was there for about a year or so, maybe related to the pandemic, since he seems to have some uh, epidemiology specialization as well. Anyway, bottom line, new health director might be on the way, works yeah. for both Melrose and Wakefield. Great. Awesome. Good news. Um, and as I said um Prematurely, the city council also voted uh, to accept the $8 million American Rescue Plan Act grant, the ARPA grant, um, and talked a little bit uh, in the mayor's memo um, what it can and cannot be spent on. Um, so we're going to put a pin in that and come back when Devin comes on. We'll come back to that. I'm, but ex I'm excited to talk to Devin about this because I watched yeah. a little bit of the appropriations uh, recording that was online. The mayor was there and other people. It, but it's very technical presentation about all the rules surrounding this money and really kind of no information on what Melrose might actually apply it to. So, but it was just funny because the, the mayor talked about the rules. The city auditor talked about the rules. They've hired a consultant who's going to oversee the process and make sure Ooh. it adheres to, adheres to all the rules. That's and good. It's, it's good. And it was, a good strategy to front load it by like, let's make sure all of our paperwork is in order before we start spending the money. So we don't have a problem later, but I'm just curious to understand. And I think Devin can help us there. Like what, what kind of things could happen? Uh, right. You know, with this it's eight and a half million bucks, it's a lot of money. Yeah. The mayor pointed out, we got less than a lot of surrounding towns, but it's still 8 million bucks at the end of the day. So it'd be interesting to see what so we can what I was, I was reading about this too, just, just before the show. And I, I, I hadn't realized that it's actually, um, half the money comes to Melrose and half comes from a county-based um, ARPA fund, I believe. Is that right? I, it's uh, it's like two points. Actually, it isn't even half. But um, it's not all coming right to Melrose directly. And we get half the money this fiscal year and half the money at, at the end of this fiscal year that just ended in June. Right. And, right. and there's half some coming next year. Some period of time, there's a lot of sort of accounting and restrictions around this where we have to report directly to yeah. the federal government. There's no like intermediary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, the mayor was clear to like, we have to be careful how we spend this because there's no guarantee that we'll get any more. And you wouldn't want to make like a permanent like hiring decision. And then this money runs out and, you know, you don't know how to fund that position yeah. in the future. We, so we can discuss with, with Devin. I'm yes. To it. We can, but um, before we get into that really quickly, um, today was the, the last day to turn in your signature papers for uh, if you wanted to run for public office in Melrose. Um, so uh, I'm going to put up the link to the site, but basically we were <laughs> excited to watch races and if there are any contested races and try to give any insight into any of that. But for the city council, they're all walking right into those seats that they had. Oh, actually, there'll be one new city council member. Uh, oh, and two, I guess. So Manjula um, Karaman, she is walking in. She is uncontested for Ward 1. Um, and John Obramski is uncontested for Ward 2. Um, and Jeff McNaught did not turn his papers in. So he's moving from uh, school committee to Ward 2 seat. And I think everyone else had their seat already so yeah so there were uh four people pulled 
I'm sorry, five people pull papers for four at-large seats, but only four return them. So they're in. All the wards are okay. uncontested. Um, and uh, the school committee, I think, has one, two, three, four people yep. running for three seats. Yep. So there's a little bit of a contest there, but I, I guess one person who's a candidate really hasn't been out in the public much, and the other ones have been serving on the committee for a while, so there may not be too much uh, political action. Well, they have two, maybe two new political newcomers. So Dory Whitley, who's a guest on our show from the Human Rights Commission, um, is running for school committee, and also a John Connolly. I, I, I know where he lives because the city tells you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, oh, so you know, who's so Sam? Then who's on there now? Who's leaving? John Obremsky, I guess. Yeah, John's moving to the city council's war two seat. So the Jens will uh, are running again for school committee. Um, yeah. And yeah, so we'll see how that one goes. It'll be interesting to see what's going to happen one of these times when like not enough people run, like there's nobody running for a ward seat. I wonder what happens in that. That's when we write in one of our names, probably. Yeah, right. A, a well, the whole group. The whole group. Or just LTMM could serve right. as a unit. As a yeah, unit. right. That's one. Oh, God. All right, we um, we have a guy waiting to come we on. We do the have show, a guy. We should, but we should. So I'm gonna I'll I'll pivot right now. But uh, another thing that Devin focuses on for his day job is how major cities um, and the impact of those like Boston and how those larger cities impact the surrounding communities. So we also have a primary going on tonight that we're watching closely, thanks to our pal Steve Cazella. Um, in Boston, they have a primary going on um, between uh, five candidates. And um, that, even though that is not in Melrose, and we don't talk about things not in Melrose, that race is going to impact what we do in Melrose. Huh? And how so? Devin's going to tell us how. So let's bring him on. Welcome, Devin. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Hey. hey Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Devin. Thanks um, so much for having me. Oh, my God. This is so exciting because uh, you're perfect uh, for everything we've been talking about tonight. Um, and so you're the director of strategic partnerships at Fuse Corps, um, which focuses on assisting municipalities on pretty much anything that they need to like improve upon or work upon or new initiatives that they have. Um, and then you were for at the Harvard Kennedy School for a while in municipal innovation. Um, and also co-founder of Raising the Bar with your wife, Abby, which we'll talk about towards the end. But um, thank you for coming uh, at this perfect time. Um, so I guess my first question just to keep going is, so we're watching this Boston race and even though it's six miles from Oak Grove, like how is that race and the, and the new mayor of Boston going to impact how things kind of happen here in Melrose? Yeah, it's, uh, thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, really appreciate it for the warm introduction. Um, and uh, I'll say that um, while not an expert on Boston politics by any stretch of the imagination, um, it's inevitable that Boston as, a, as an anchor, um, anchor institution, as it were, uh, in New England, that it's going to have a, a pretty significant uh, secondary tertiary impact in the cities and towns around uh, around the greater Boston area. So um, I, I, it's going to be a runoff tonight. So we won't actually know anything other than the final two candidates. Um, right. And uh, uh, for those of you who were tuning into the last mayoral, competitive mayoral election uh, with John Connolly, it was that first, we didn't really know what was gonna happen after the um, uh, uh, that initial primary. And um, 
you know, uh, there was a tear of fundraising on Connolly's side. There was a tear of uh, endorsements um, on uh, on Marty Walsh's side, and uh, and that made the difference in just the first week. Cha- totally changed the trajectory of the race. So we won't know anything for a little while. But um, but yeah, in, in all the um, I, I do a lot of work in in uh, in Texas and uh, uh, throughout the rest of the South and Midwest. And uh, one of the things that we see is that these big uh, anchor cities can have a tremendous um, uh, effect on the on the way that uh, their respective counties uh, operate, how their state legislatures operate, and so um, it's inevitable that uh, new ideas will circulate. There may be some backlash, so uh, there's always that that push and pull. So help help me connect the dots, Devin. So uh, how, what are the second order impacts that might affect Melrose based on who wins the mayoral election in Boston? Yeah, so I, I think that. Um, you know, there, there are sort of direct and indirect impacts. You could have um, a, a mayor of Boston could institute uh, certain reforms around, um, you know, workforce development is a great example because it's inherently regional. Um, there could be um, any sort of public-private partnerships that launch more, more regional um, uh, types of programs. You could have, um, you know, vaccination programs. Certainly, um, if a city decides to become more or less permissive in how it does... Um, uh, you know, uh, vaccine drives or e- even how, um, look at things like mask mandates, uh, you know, really uh, controversial topic right now in many cities across the country where um, that may encourage or discourage a, a neighboring city to, uh, to copy. Um, so uh, in economic development programs like Opportunity Zones and uh, how they do their ARPA expenditures, you can um, not to dip into our next topic by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, but one That's of the right. permissible expenses is to say, we're actually going to take our city or our county or our state's money and put it into a special purpose uh, district, which aren't too popular here, but, um, you know, sort of a, a singular, um, you know, organization is going to tackle, tackle one issue area that can have a huge regional impact. So, um, you know, if you were to pool your money in that regard, it could have a, a tremendous uh, impact regionally. But um, but it's, it's really hard to say un- until you know exactly who the candidate's going to be. But also things like housing. So there are a few candidates who have very differing views on um, on housing production or on uh, rent control or how to how to stave off the the exponentially increasing market. But that also has the wave impact on us in Melrose, as we've noticed. Neighbors are still, you know, selling, um, cashing out, and moving farther away. We have new folks coming in all the time. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see to see what happens. Um, yeah, you're right, Sam. I mean, the, uh, imagine uh, if the mayor of Boston decides we're going to create, um, you know, uh, just throwing a number out there, something really wild, like we're going to create 100,000 units in 25 years. Well, that, that probably is going to have a non-trivial impact on our on our housing uh, market, but, but who knows? But also when things like uh, ex- uh, innovation and experimenting on new policies or because um, Boston led in green building code back in the day. And then it just, it, the state seems to kind of pick up where Boston leads. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, um, to see what happens. But um, I, I really so badly, I'm trying to find a way to talk about your state rep race in 2008. <laughs> oh, so I found the greatest YouTube video of all time when you oh, told no. me about Devin, who I just met tonight. So uh, I will send that link around uh, privately or well, I guess it's out on YouTube. <laughs> but it was it, this Boston Newsnet show he was interviewed on 12 years ago was just hilarious. So uh, 
anyway, yes, Devin is out there. And so he's on the Boston scene. He's, he's uh, regional and worldwide. What is happening with these ARPA funds that we could do in Melrose? So there is a frequently asked questions. You can use the money for this. You can't use it for that. Some of it could be like infrastructure, like, you know, water type stuff. And it can't be, you know, whatever. Knowing what you know about that topic and what you know about Melrose, uh, like I said, in this meeting, I, I thought it was sort of unsatisfying. Maybe that's just the mechanics and necessary, you know, to push it through the city council mechanics stuff. But I didn't hear anything really about what we might be able to do with the money besides a beer garden. <laughs> uh, BT, I would be totally down with a uh, city city run beer garden, but that's uh, perhaps a subject for for another day. Um, <laughs> Uh, or not, perhaps. Uh, no, I, I think it's a great question. And one of the things that has been uh, holding this whole process up is that uh, it's being administered through the Treasury Department, and they have issued what's, uh, it's called the interim final rule. Um, they talked which about is, this. I mean, they're going to come up with, uh, um, you know, secondary uh, interim final rule and almost there on this two-yard line interim final rule. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a while till we get a, a final um, you know, final guidance. So they're, they're constantly niching down as to how they can use the funds. But broadly speaking, uh, as Tom mentioned earlier, there's going to be two tranches of funding. One is going to come, well, it's coming right now. And then the other uh, middle to you know, late summer, early fall of 2022. Um, so I think that um, you're seeing a lot of uh, jurisdictions actually just use that first bucket for backfill. So they're not even dealing uh, one of the first... Um, one of the first subjects that Treasury brings up is that you can use it for lost revenue. And for a lot of cities that rely on um, uh, tourism or, or um, you know, uh, sales taxes, well, that's going to have a huge impact. So they have to do it a, a lot. Not, of backfill. not particularly applicable right. to Melrose, I learned last it, night. Yeah, exactly. So and if your housing costs have gone up, some places are actually in the black over the course of the last year, which is really unbelievable. Um, so I'd say that. Uh, you know, you, you see any sort of um, uh, backfill recovery and then you could have anything that has to do with recovering from the uh, uh, from the pandemic, be it public health expenses, uh, if there has been any specific economic impact broadly in your city, but also disproportionately impacting specific communities. So they have really um, well written carve outs uh, to say if you have a particular neighborhood that has just um, the pandemic has had a really deleterious effect. Um, on that neighborhood's economy, you can put money in there. You could have uh, premium pay. You could have infrastructure investment, but only infrastructure in water, sewer, and broadband. So you can see the fingerprints of perhaps some lobbyists. I don't know uh, in the federal legislation. But what I found really interesting is that the direct relationship Treasury is having with um, with cities and towns right now is a direct result of the CARES Act. Um, uh, uh, blockades, perhaps, um, uh, not to be political, but uh, the CARES Act was passed very hastily. Um, and when Treasury was administering it, they permitted state legislatures to put strings attached and certain expenses as they mm -hmm. pass through the state legislature onto um, cities and towns in their jurisdiction. And so you actually saw some cities not get access to those dollars in the same way that they might. So they wanted to bypass that uh, as much as possible. So that's why you're seeing that uh, direct relationship with, with the Fed. That's interesting. And from our yeah. perspective in Melrose here, it seemed almost like it, it kind of came across as almost a burden. And we had to hire a consultant and make sure we sort of get it right. But maybe we didn't have that those kind of concerns that you might have had elsewhere in the country about you know, whatever. Uh, so it seemed like the Massachusetts intermediary was maybe a relief to us, whereas in other places, maybe it, it wasn't. But uh, wow, that's interesting. Also, like direct costs, right? So if we, you know, for for testing and uh, vaccination and those kinds of costs, I think are 
like slam dunk approved. Right. Anything else? Beer garden? Are they like a slam dunk or anything else that would be an obvious thing? I just I was kind of disappointed. I didn't hear a lot of like ideas and they just maybe it's just too early. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, th there are certain rules around what the types of infrastructures that, you know, if you want to, yeah, you want to build your your sewage system, you've got water repairs, you've got lead pipes, you know, um, you want to lay broad broadband wiring to a more rural outlying area. Um, those are really good economic development um, infrastructure projects that will have, I mean, the the um, return on investment for those is incredible. So, but then some of the other things that you had, uh, and I forget who mentioned it earlier, it was a very astute point about cities not wanting to make probably me. hires. Yeah, <laughs> 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 about cities not wanting to make full time <laughs> hires because if you make a, cre a create a civil service position, well, all of a sudden the funding runs out. You have to give the money back by 2026. You have to make the expenses by 2024. So, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of places, and actually, that's a, a lot of what my my organization does uh, or some of it right now is, um, you know, as a nonprofit organization, being able to help cities add capacity, help with program development in a way that, um, you know, if, if say if a city wants to work with, um, uh, um, you know, any sort of third party community organization, they can pass those dollars along. If that organization has like a comparative advantage, a particular issue area, um, you know, uh, a boys and girls club, uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So um, they have that. So I, th I think there's a lot of programmatic capacity there, but I also think there's not a, um, I'll say not a huge rush because, uh, um, but the, but the money does not have to be appropriate until 2024. So I think there is some time, um, and okay. I'll be quiet for, for a little bit, uh, there, you are seeing a lot of cities, um, build out community engagement boards, um, to help give recommendations to their, um, legislative bodies, um, uh, to figure out, you know, where, like basically going in, on a massive listening tour and, and just, uh, I haven't been plugged in here, so I don't know if that's happening. Okay. That's so, so there's time. Like, I felt like I was like, uh, we don't have a plan and we're getting this money. So you're saying this is that's on par with what other communities are doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of places just immediately backfill their budget from FY21 um, and then taking their time to think about how they want to deploy uh, money for uh, for the future fiscal years. Like, for instance, um, I'm doing some work with the city of Nashville right now, and they have this interim board that is um, the, uh, the, the Tennessee um, state government has said absolutely do not appropriate any ARPA dollars until the final treasury guidance is out. Just do not do it. Um, and, uh, and the city has to, uh, uh, is issuing emergency authorizations for things that are really urgent. Um, and, uh, they've, I think they've appropriated about $3 million of their really substantial, um, allocation from the feds. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if things have to be done in a matter of weeks. I think in the next few months, it's a good idea to get your arms around it. But, um, with a once in a lifetime investment like this, I think it's really important to, yeah. um, to see what the community thinks. Have, what, what's some of the more creative ways that this money is being spent in other cities and towns that, that you've worked with or come across? Yeah, um, you know, I think that uh, we're seeing um, uh, uh, a lot of um, vaccine, uh, either vaccine hesitancy marketing campaigns, you're seeing uh, people stand up um, more vaccine distribution sites, uh, particularly in communities of color um, in, in urban areas. Uh, so that's sort of your standard issue stuff. But I, I do think there's um, this kind of once in a lifetime investment. You're seeing uh, some cities launch guaranteed income pilots with some of that money. The, the state of California is actually given a tremendous cash incentive to municipalities for um, uh, through their state budget. Um, Jackie, glad to hear it. 
Um, and so uh, um, she'll, she'll have to sign up for one of the pilots uh, in the respective cities. But um, yeah, you're seeing guaranteed income pilots are permissive, permissive, permissible woof, expense, provided that um, that the cash benefit for each individual person does not exceed what they received in their direct assistance check from the federal government. So all of a sudden, you know, you may create a selection bias in in um, in the pilots that you're running. So that's one of the more interesting uh, interesting programs that I've seen. Um, I'm seeing, uh, and this is not necessarily with ARPA funds, uh, but some cities contemplating with a little extra cash assistance. Do reparations program makes it makes sense in their community? It does that take it. Um, you know, does that look like a cash transfer? Does that look like a, um, you know, housing housing assistance or some sort of economic development empowerment program? So, um, you know, what does that look like when you're reorganizing your police department? Um, so I, I think you're, um, and, and also on, on climate resilience, a lot of infrastructure yeah. along climate resilience. Look what happens on the South Coast right now um, in, in the Gulf, not South Coast, Massachusetts, um, I think, uh, uh, I think Swansea and Fall River are fine with hurricanes right now, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, what's happening with in New Orleans? Just the sheer, you know, had the entire city lost power. Um, that's something that they're going to have to grapple with, and something I think um, both emergency FEMA assistance, but also um, ARPA dollars should be used for. And they they call that a catastrophic failure. So that that was huge. Yeah. Was yeah. Sorry, we've, seen, we've heard of other communities using or uh, planning to use this, these funds for um, small business assistance as well, um, as whether they're in the tourist industry or otherwise. Um, we talked we talked to um, Adam Schuler a few weeks ago, who is the founder of oh, the Brooklyn Lake Productions, and how how much of an impact his company had when you couldn't have people come to the theater anymore. Um, and so, have you? What have you seen with? small business assistance. And I, I mean, we can, we've seen some things going on around in Boston and Cambridge and you can, it's out there already. Um, but anything. To yeah, you are seeing uh, some places uh, will um, on the workforce development side, see how can you upskill, you know, your, your workforce looks like this, the job demand looks like this. And what role does a workforce development agency or a state or a county have in helping, um, you know, uh, uh, with that upskilling, be it in, in coding in you know, teaching of basic skills and, and trying to do that matchmaking, especially when things are moving so rapidly, um, you know, and, and how does the city plan for uh, what their economy is going to look like in a few years when they don't know people are going to be going to restaurants in the way that they used to, um, you know, but uh, uh, do you invest in those parklets? Um, do you invest in more outdoor dining and more rapid testing, things like that? Um, you know, I, I think that there are some cities that are taking a really targeted approach and saying, we're actually going to, um, uh, you know, we're working in Atlanta right now where one of our programs is um, helping uh, provide small business supports to entrepreneurs of color in certain neighborhoods in Atlanta, saying that our um, uh, their theory of the case at uh, Invest Atlanta, which is their workforce development agency, is that uh, you can really drive a tremendous amount of economic growth with uh, with that capital investment. So um, you're seeing things like that. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, Houston is doing a lot of um, Future, with, future of work planning uh, with what their workforce is going to look like in, in a couple of decades. So um, it really it really runs the gamut. See, that's that's interesting to me. If you could take a targeted approach and take something like Melrose, eight and a half million dollars. What if you spent four or five million on one thing that made a sort of a big impact in the town and you still had a few million to spread around to, you know, whatever. It'd be interesting if we could pull off uh, something like that. I don't know what, what it would be, but. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you have places that will create you know, small business incubators or innovation labs. Um, there's a really cool, um, uh, I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but there's a really cool innovation lab in Louisville, Kentucky that I got to visit a few years ago. And um, I, I, for, I forget what is the, there's a giant company that made a big investment in collaboration with the, with the city um, to help small businesses um, sort of incubate there, give you a space, give you some infrastructure to operate, um, and some technical assistance. And they it really, um, you know, there were some people who were in food service who just needed a place to cook. Then there were some places that, uh, hmm. you know, someone was inventing a, um, what about a commu community kitchen like that? So yeah, we've yeah. got, we've got a number of small businesses in Melrose and we'll segue into you, uh, what your wife is doing at some point, but there's, <laughs> there's a number of like, uh, little businesses run out of uh, people's homes and, and there's a pop-up initiative happening in the city right now to try and, you know, give uh, folks uh, an opportunity. But I think, you know, some of that is about trying to bridge the gap. So if a, a place is uh, our storefront is vacant, maybe we can make use of it and subsidize that a little bit, give somebody a chance uh, and and not have sort of a lot of those uh, storefronts go dark, which which would be a bad thing for the town. But what about a more permanent type infrastructure like that where somebody like so to for, for certain, so baked goods you can sell out of your home, but other kinds of foods you have to have an industrial kitchen, which is like a huge investment uh, for somebody. But maybe could the town invest in something like that as a platform uh, for, you know, other others to share or shared workspace for, you know, co-working spaces has been an idea, I think. Just imagining like we have a public library that I could use for all sorts of things, uh, you know, a computer access, Internet access, meeting space. I could, you know, there's a lot of things that serve the public good. Uh, we have other facilities. We've talked about this with Broken Leg that you have to rent. Maybe some of that could be, you know, Sam's talking about maybe subsidizing that. But could we create some different kind of space, you know, co-working again, for an example, where it's, uh, you know, I don't know if the, if the city would get into that or if maybe that creates too much of a burden over the longer term. But we've talked before about like having an outdoor stage that has electricity and lights and stuff like that for, you know, performing arts or something like that. I don't know if this is maybe this is too far afield for the opera stuff, but I like that idea of like some focused thing where if, like you said, it's once in a lifetime and you can get your hands on a few million bucks, could you should you spend it in one place or some, half of it in one place to make a big impact, you know, or do you just sort of let it sort of simmer in the background for the next few years and nobody ever really sort of sees any, like there's an opportunity for change to do something right. different. Right. And I, I think this is, uh, Tom, a lot of the things you mentioned, I, I think they're, uh, uh, irrespective of whether or not they're ARPA eligible funds, I think it really brings about, um, you know, the need for a really robust community engagement, participatory budgeting, um, you know, and, and uh, I know we have a um, we we have a representative government, but it's also really important to um, to um, it's tedious, it's tedious yeah. to engage. Oh, right. Sure. So it's it's great. We have a good public process, but I'm trying to watch some of these meetings and participate. And it's 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 an insider's game. And it's a little bit tedious and there's a lot of procedures. So what about a community engagement board like you're talking about? Maybe that's a platform we could invest in. Yeah. Yeah. And a bunch of cities are figuring out, like, how do you recommend to. Um, yeah, I don't want to say outsource, but how, how you get a trusted group of people who are um, engaged, who are uh, um, very active in the community, and how can they talk with their uh, uh, people in their neighborhood and then make subsequent recommendations to the legislative body, particularly if, you know, you're not going to be making those outlays for, you know, months, if not years. Um, I, I don't think that's the worst idea in the world. I think it's a phenomenal idea. Mm -hmm. 
and I, I can't wait until we get started on some of those things. But um, did somebody just walk in the room at your house, Devin? No, no, oh, God, no. I thought, I I thought maybe I thought maybe Abby was coming in to get some airtime. Oh no, no, uh, it wouldn't be. Uh, I have uh, all manner of children uh, crash my <laughs> Zoom meetings every day, so it's uh, they have snuck up behind me before and. On my whiteboard, there's all sorts of frightening drawings uh, that my daughter has left me over time. So that, that scare the hell out of my uh, out of my colleagues from time to time. Uh, but so pivoting to like another, you know, I am so impressed at the small business that you and she have been able to put together. Your co-founder together on um, raising the bar. Is that correct? That's correct. And oh, we we don't need to dig into it too much. But yeah, it's um, uh, my uh, my wife has a. Uh, uh, she runs this uh, business called Raising the Bar. Um, she quit drinking almost three years ago now, um, and immediately when she did, realized that uh, you know she wanted um, you know sort of uh, bougie artisanal cocktails uh, to make at home that didn't have alcohol in them, and realized there was nothing really on the market. And so she decided to invent these uh, these kits. And every month, you know, something seasonal, um, something that gets you some barware and some shrubs and phosphates and sodas and bitters and you know seltzers and all that stuff and um, we send them out um, every month, and and mercifully, we're not packing them by hand anymore. Thank God, um, because that's um, anyone who's gotten repeated cardboard cuts. Um, it's just not a not a pleasant enterprise. But uh, but thank you for asking. Oh, it's it's going really well. Um, how are so sales are going well? And it's she. How far is she or are you guys shipping now? And. Yeah, we're, we're shipping all over uh, the United States and Canada. And actually, um, this is by total happenstance. Today is our first anniversary, our, our first birthday. So I came, I'm, I'm <laughs> I literally came from downstairs prior to this interview. I came uh, from eating a just grotesque amount of cake that we got uh, nice. uh, for the occasion. So um, I'm just grateful that I didn't uh, <laughs> fall asleep from the <laughs> diabetic coma. Oh. Hey, uh, I think we found the podcast show title, Grotesque Amount of Cake. Yeah. <laughs> well, we would love to have her on. And we were, uh, one time we had, um, I think, Shampoo, you made us uh, cocktails. And we all did. did. We, yes. Yeah, we would love to do that um, and have her on. And maybe um, a custom uh, LTMM concoction yeah, could be designed. Sure. sure. Rose petals or something. Lemons, limes, you know, whatever. But it's funny you should, uh, it, it's a cool business and it sounds like a, it's a subscription uh, thing. But I was just seeing a thing on Twitter where this woman was talking about going to some party or something. And she went up to the bar and uh, she doesn't drink and she couldn't get, you know, they're like, oh, I'll make you anything you want. And she's like, well, could I have something, you know, non-alcoholic? And they're like, oh, they point her to like the kids cooler with the soft drinks and, and water bottles. And there wasn't really an accommodation for you know, having something that's tasty and fancy and, you know, whatever that's, that's non-alcoholic. So, uh, yeah, ho hopefully that's something that catches on. I hope so. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, uh, it has proved to be very popular. We've done a whole bunch of corporate, you know, some companies want to have a happy hour for their, all their employees. And so we've been, you know, furiously mailing things out and, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's gone reasonably well. So and it's fun to see what what different restaurants have insofar as options that aren't just right. yeah, um, uh, a Shirley Temple. So that's um, right. uh, no one wants to be ordering that. <laughs> have you guys done um, any video live video events kind of thing? Like because we did some some cocktail stuff like that during the height of the pandemic. Uh, it became all the rage to have these kinds of meetings online, but you could do cocktail classes. And so I, I don't know if you guys did that as well or not, but something can be a fun, fun opportunity. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did a couple of classes, um, you know, just for uh, for uh, 
few videos for our subscribers. We we've done some yeah. live classes for you know reunions and companies and things like that, and and that's been right. that's been fun. So you get some variations on, um, you know, you can make recommendations for booze you want to include, but we really. Uh, uh, given the uh, the nature of the business, we we try to leave that part uh, for the the DIYers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, we will have to celebrate um, with some with some packages uh, when we have our first community engagement event around spending this eight million dollars. What do you Boom. think? Boom! Sounds there great. you go. We've got a plan. There's a plan. We'll celebrate. <laughs> All right. There's also, a plan. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and also for BTs, um, you know, BT has been really uh, harping on the beer garden, but there are actually, um, and I'm, I actually, I brew my own beer. Um, I still, I still drink from time to time. Um, there are some really good non-alcoholic beers out there. There are a few of them that, that really you, you would not guess. Uh, you might think it's a good lawnmower beer, but, uh, um, you know, not necessarily the really craft, like 12% stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's some really good stuff out there. So BT, you ought to give that a try. All right. Nice. Hey. Nice. There we go. All right, good. Any more recommendations for BT before we wrap? <laughs> anybody, <laughs> anybody else? Anybody? anybody else? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we hope he's doing okay. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you around town. This is going to be dance.